after all the storytelling is done, it's time to talk with the people that made it happen. Welcome to Behind the White Scarves. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to part two of the new Behind the White Scars with your Windor specialists, Greg and Toby. This is going to be exciting new ground for us today. As longtime listeners are well aware, we have already interviewed the entire core cast of the New Century Multiverse. But because phase two of the series was always going to try a bunch of new things as far as storytelling was concerned... Alex went on to get some new voices to go with it. One of our guests today you have already heard from because she was asked to provide new voices to establish characters from Phase 1. And the second I told the School of Movies Discord that I was going to interview cast members last year, she was immediately raising her hand going, I volunteer as tribute! (laughs) As the voice of Catherine Holloway, we are very excited to welcome back the recently married Master of Stunt Work, Maya Suris. Hello, everybody. Hello. Thanks well, for having me back. Oh, absolutely. You're, one You're of always welcome. Oh, thanks, guys. But on top of that, we have two folks that are newcomers. One that was familiar from the School of Movies Discord, and one was someone that I get to interact with for the very first time today. As the voice of Ganymede Ferron, let me introduce Felix Quist. Hey, pleasure to meet you. <laughs> Oh, that creamy voice. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Greg and I are just sweating because we, like, I mean, we're always nervous whenever we meet any of our interviewees because they're all very cool people. And mm. today is no exception, but this is someone we've never interacted with. So play it cool, play it cool. It's okay. I mean, I, I can turn it up or down if you would like. We can, we can make this a little bit closer, intimate, personal, if you like. <laughs> We've entered the ASMR part of the show. Window after dark. Oh my goodness. Welcome, everyone. Uh, As just spoke up a moment ago, as the voice of Atar Rubens, please welcome Orion Richardson. Hey, everyone. Happy to be here. Yay. (laughs) So. Maya, we've already gone in deep with, as per most of the veteran cast, in terms of learning where she came from, some of her past, uh, and how she was integrated into the New Century multiverse. But we get to ask these questions that we've asked of everybody else to our two new guests. Therefore, for Felix and Orion, I want to bring it back to those big questions. To each of you, I ask... Did you have any background in performing of any kind before New Century? How did you first get into contact with Alex and or his work? And how were you picked for the roles you were asked to play? That's obviously a lot right to start off, but, you know, in whatever order you decide to answer those questions, let's start with Felix. So, for me, because my brain kind of runs like a goldfish... Let's break down the question. <laughs> Can you give me the first two bits? 
Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Um, so curious about uh, if you had any background of performing prior to Stone Spring Maidens. Mm. That one's an easy one. Well, actually, that does does live streaming count? Does is that I mean, you can consider that a, an art performance of some kind. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, mm. you're you're definitely at the very least presenting your personality as performance for an audience and everything. Yes. Beyond that, I would say the last time that I was on stage for anything was at a uh, YMCA event where we were putting on some sort of play, and I remember being in a cowboy outfit. Beyond that, no, not really. <laughs> All right, so you're already familiar with the Western <laughs> setting of the series. That's excellent. Except that Ganymede isn't part of the Western <laughs> setting. Ah, true. Well, that just means we need to make a new role for him. Uh, <laughs> well, so uh, you said that you do live streaming. What do you, uh, are you, do you do like Let's Plays, or what's your experience with that? Uh, mostly, mostly let's play stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, was at one point going to do a little bit of cooking, but that never came to fruition. But I like to just go through a whole mess of uh, RPGs because I'm very much a story person. I love hearing them, seeing new worlds, living in them, breathing that whole new adventure air in, and just living with that and sharing it with everybody else who enjoys that as well. So that's just been my own little personal passion project, I'd say. Mm. I mean, I know this is skimming ahead a little bit, but uh, with that leaning towards RPGs and exploring fantastical settings and worlds, did Stone Spring Maidens and its sort of time being spent in this new setting and getting to know how it works, did that appeal to you when Alex sort of described it to you or you saw the story for the first time? Uh, yes, actually. So... Uh... One of the things, and I know this is kind of a related question as well, I think. Um, one of, <laughs> Sorry, one of, I have very little restraint. <laughs> it's all right. So one of the things that, that was very helpful is that he was very, very prolific in describing the world, the setting, and stuff like that. And me, as a person who is very reading adverse, because <laughs> dyslexia kind of makes it a very tiring ordeal to read he was kind enough to tell me about the world and it was very interesting to hear about all of these different things and the things about it that kind of ring true to where we live in currently. So it was very helpful. When you came into contact with him, then was it primarily through that one-to-one -one as he was describing the setting or have you had a chance to, if not read since, as you said, you are reading a verse I haven't had a chance to listen to some of the previous audio dramas then. Beyond Stone Spring Maiden, not yet. Okay. Um, I know that I remember how Goldfish Brain comes back every now and then. So mm -hmm. I remember that uh, another part of the question here was uh, whether or not I had had, or how, how I came into contact with Alex mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the show to begin with. There is another character, and uh, I cannot remember who he plays uh i think matt was one of the people that you have you is already oh in. yes matt wardle yes yes uh, i actually know him in real life we are about 20 minutes away from each other so oh cool <laughs> so my uh my girlfriend knows him he was asking around she pointed me in their direction and then i ended up here that's <laughs> the <laughs> long and the short of it <laughs> so your girlfriend had a literal moment of I know a guy. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, in mm. that case, we'd be very interested in. Well, that's definitely a later question at this point in mm. terms of potential future interaction with more new century down the road. Um, but I'm curious as to how Alex first uh, was selling you on the role of Ganymede Pharon then. What what really kind of sold it, I think the uh, one of the posts he might have made on the Twitter, because this is all, a lot of things have happened and 2020 makes everybody forget everything. Mm. So um, <laughs> I, I cannot remember a lot of the details outside of the fact that he was looking for people who match the roles of the characters to to more accurately reflect what what emotions and and experiences that they had so looking for a a black man to play a black man was like well yes thank you i <laughs> i would honor this chance to have some sort of representation count me in mm -hmm. <laughs> so so that that was that was pretty much the okay i'm interested and then okay tell me about the world all right i'm sold i would like mm -hmm. to be on top of this <laughs> <laughs> trying mm. not to draw any innuendo from that um <laughs> <laughs> please we're well, adults I'm... here <laughs> orion i primarily knew about you as being part of the just the social group on the school of movies discord and I remember when Alex was putting the call out for a specific kind of role that you said openly that you were interested in trying out. But I don't necessarily know a whole lot about your story outside of our interaction on the Discord. So tell us a little bit about your background and your decision to get involved with New Century. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm not the most talkative person on mm -hmm. Discord. I'm kind of more of a lurker who will then just forget about Discord for extended periods of time. And then, <laughs> oh yeah, this is a thing. Um, <laughs> so as far as my background with like performing and whatnot, I don't really have much of one. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up in a small town. There wasn't like the a drama club or anything at my school or even where I went to college for that matter. So I didn't really do much in the way of performing, but it was kind of something I always had an interest in. I've always wanted to do voice work specifically. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that Alex was, you know, looking for someone that just, you know, happened to match my description a little bit, mm -hmm. I kind of like jumped on that. Oh, maybe pick me. <laughs> um, as far as kind of getting into New Century, I got into New Century via School of Movies. Mm -hmm. And how I got into School of Movies was Laura Dale talking about a show that she did with Alex. I think it was like Jessica Jones, maybe, or Wonder Woman. I can't remember. I was listening to Podquisition, I think. Yeah, and... I think she she was on the Jessica Jones show. I think she was also on the Resident Evil show, possibly. And potentially yeah. to the moon as well. I yeah. might be misremembering that. Yeah, I don't know. This was... Whew, mm. probably 2017-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, That's a so. long time ago in uh, <laughs> 2020 years. So I was like, all right, I'll, you know, I like, I like Laura. Let me listen to this other show. And then before I knew it, I was binging it and, you know, <laughs> got, you know, through that transitive property, mm -hmm. New Century. Had you been 
reading and or listening to the New Century books prior to um, volunteering to play Atar. Yes. And I mean, timing might be a little bit confused, but I'm pretty sure before the call went out for um, Atar, I think I had listened to Let Them Go and Tiger's Eye. Mm. Those are two good ones, but we're... <laughs> We are a biased source. Like if like you ask us which ones are the good ones, we just sort of point at the shelf and say yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm a I'm a big like I love horror and all that kind of stuff. So let them mm -hmm. go. Like kind of that you know, gothic storytelling was just like a perfect like way for me to to step mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. It was the right pitch. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Moving into the next question, then. As you may or may not have heard from, well, actually, no, you couldn't have heard the previous interview because it hasn't been released yet. Um, <laughs> no, we just sent out a secret invite so that they could listen in and have a leg up on the first round of interviewees so that they could know what to do and what not to do. You know, if I was smarter, I would have done that. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the first set of interviews did a fantastic job. Yes, they did, and uh, I'm sure everyone will be will enjoy the heck out of it, but let's concentrate on the interview we're doing now. Alex has handled the direction a couple different ways over the years due to the fact that, you know, he's in the UK and everybody else tends to be in America, so everything has to be handled at a kind of remove. It appears that he was doing a little bit of a hybrid thing in terms of asking some people to just record their lines and send them to him, or in some cases doing some hands-on direction via Skype as the recording happened. So I'm curious how uh, Alex might have handled the two of you, uh, Felix, Orion, in terms of was he more likely to just have you send recorded lines or did he have more hands-on due to the two of you being new? Ryan, if you want to go first, I'm curious. <laughs> sure, to <go>. sure, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first then. It was primarily a lot of my recordings were done with like Alex being present, like in the mm -hmm. Skype call. Uh, some of the stuff that I would, you know, record on my own or you know do some retakes or or whatever afterwards. But I really, I'm pretty self conscious person. I'm like shaking like physically <laughs> right now. <laughs> But I just I really liked having him in the call so I could get this kind of immediate feedback mm. into the line reading to you know figure out like what he needed from it. Do I need to emphasize something else? Am I muttering too much? Because I kind of tend to do that. Mostly he was there like giving me direction as we were going. Mm. I, I sympathize on two fronts. One, I, I am always shaking. Like I, Whatever you see on the video <laughs> right now, I usually either am just sort of tapping my foot quite a lot underneath in any social interaction, which I have grown very rusty on uh, over the last uh, two years when the percentage has dropped down way down. And also just doing anything in isolation, there's not that feedback because if you just speak into the microphone and before like I started anything with Greg, it I did this experimental thing as a podcast where I would just take a collection of reviews that I had written for my blog and try to recite them, have some accompanying music and just kind of put a collection out there. And it was always a 
whole lot of work for something that I definitely don't think was uh, particularly easy to listen to. And it's because, as you say, when you're just sort of sitting there in an empty room, it's like, I have no idea if that was a fucking good thing or not. I just sort of spoke into it. The The laptop isn't giving me a thumbs up and saying, <laughs> good job. <laughs> My recording program isn't popping up with like emojis with smiley faces. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure I want to give my laptop the power of like emotional response to what I'm doing. I, I don't need that. I don't... <laughs> it's okay. You can just treat it as Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, whether I seem nervous or not, I'm a fidgeter. I always tend to have something at hand that I can just move around between my fingers that's how i tend to express my nervousness you'll hear in the outtakes from the previous interview that the thing i unfortunately chose to twiddle around with were thumbtacks <laughs> and i kept stabbing my fingers so that was a poor choice oh, oh. i too like to live dangerously <laughs> <laughs> you could say that you have Tech. So. <laughs> so good. Very good. Oh boy. Get the tally of the puns. Up yeah, I was going to say, is that the first one? <laughs> if that's it is the impressive. only one, I will be shocked. Well, that, that's actually impressive. Toby is usually in charge of our puns here. So uh, you actually got one in before he did. And I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to cut the interview short for you because it's been very good to have you on. And... <laughs> Um, uh, it's okay. It would be the last and the first time that I've been <laughs> escorted out of a room for punny behavior. <laughs> Felix, it sounds from your personal idiosyncrasies that you might have handled more interaction the same as Orion did based on having issues just like reading off of a, these are the lines I want you to say off of written material. Yes. So my my experience kind of mirrors Orion's in a lot of the different ways. Um, for me, I'm going to say a superpower because I have to say it this way. Otherwise, I feel really self-conscious about it. Mm. Uh, of mine is mirroring. Uh, and that kind of um, goes from the top to the bottom, everything in life. I mean, think of a kid learning how to do anything, how to learn how to do something you mirror. So for me, when it comes to any skill that I have learned in life, it has been through various degrees of mirroring. I'm not really great at learning something and finding and making something new on its own without having taken previous skills to compress it down into that thing. So with Alex being as a uh, another person on the Skype call, he would read something out to me. He'd go through the entire line and then I'd be able to assess what the emotions were hear what it was or if we were on a video get that particular feeling and then mirror that back as part of the line it was very very helpful mm -hmm. i'm curious because we've asked this question a lot in the past about recording lines in isolation for scenes that have multiple characters interacting with one another and you've both spoken about how you had Alex to work off of, but did recording dialogue without having the other cast members opposite you to work with take any adjustment to get used to? And I extend this to both of you, Felix and Orion. For me, I don't feel like I had a, a, a lot of trouble not kind of being able to bounce off another person. Sure, mm -hmm. that's really helpful, but I didn't have a lot of 
issue with it. I don't know really what kind of explanation to give mm. other than like, you know, some other creative people, you know, sometimes when we're like alone in a car or whatever, it's like, all right, time to inhabit a random character and just voice stuff you know <laughs> practice doing voices or whatever and you know part of that is with because i do a lot of gming like i run ta- a lot of tabletop games mm. uh. so sometimes it's just like you know kind of picturing future scenes or whatever the only scene that i can remember that alex actually jumped in and was kind of playing the other character was um near the end of stone spring it's like the big scene with uh atar and Ganny. Mm. Um, and uh, it's been a bit since we recorded, but my memory of it is I started, you know, reading the lines and then Alex kind of jumped in. I don't remember him saying that he was going to, but he did. And then it just kind of flowed and I just, I got very vulnerable and it just, I don't know, it worked. Mm. I don't even know if we had to retake any of the lines, honestly, for that Mm. part. Well, that came out uh, relatively recently because we're mm. in the uh, final chapters, final episodes releasing. And I always, this is a tradition, I always take this opportunity to actually make sure I compliment our guests when we have them on so I can do it pseudo in person. But you guys knocked it out of the park. You truly did. And that scene absolutely has that culmination, that emotional sincerity, or everything you would want from it. And it mm. definitely hits. I'm not going to insert the conversation in question to remind the listener, because it's long and we have a lot of actual interview content to get through. But the scene he's referring to takes place in the middle of chapter 30. And if Orion managed to do his half of it in one take, then hot damn, that is impressive. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you guys did a a phenomenal job, and especially with this being some of your first times being in this universe, and in some cases, the first time you've done any voice acting. Like, I I just, um, I prefer to wait until Alex has released all of the chapters or most of the chapters so I can just binge them because otherwise I forget what happened in the previous week so I have to just kind of listen to them as much in one sitting as possible so I just finished up listening to the most recent chapter last night and I was like wow these guys were like they were so good like I was so impressed well well done gents you did a phenomenal job thank you very much yeah, and this is you know ob- you know obviously the first time like Felix and I are actually talking together. Mm-hmm. So yeah. which is so funny because and I mean like we had kind of a, a similar thing happen when I would do some of the the scenes with Alex as Merlane and with the nag like he just has I don't know he's got that magic touch where he makes it sound like you're in the same room with a person and you may never have been so. Yeah, we've commented before that I don't know where I don't know where this power comes from, but Alex has some sort of editing magic where he Yeah, he's just... he's got the knack for it, really. <laughs> yeah, the the vocal direction uh is, you know, really kind of what sells it. That's what and that, that's what break makes or breaks a lot of performances just in general. It's like we're the actors given good direction or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I always felt like I was being guided very well <laughs> <laughs> it helps too that alex has a very specific tone and a very specific like he 
like you can tell that in his head he knows what it's supposed to sound like Mm. and he tries to convey that to you so in that way he's very precise in what he's looking for and he's also very good at bringing those performances out of people felix i presume from what uh ryan was describing that uh he might have done something similar for you for some of those uh intense scenes uh yes but because of the fact that i kind of asked for him to to do that to begin with so we were doing that for most of the entire thing mm. he would either be reading off the lines of the other characters or giving me the entire backstory leading up to it so that i can I can then wrap my mind around the situation and go from there. It was it was like having somebody read a bedtime story to you and then get to react to it in real time. <laughs> oh, don't fall asleep as well if it's a bedtime story. Like, well, yeah. just... <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, like the, the, the person who comes in and tells you this fantastical story that is going on as you like drift off into this world and then you end up dreaming about it and then you mm. become the character in your dream, that sort of thing. Now I'm very curious. Obviously, the actual order of things has been turned around a little bit because as Alex was putting out the episodes of the audio drama in comparison to the written novel that he put out months before, in my experience, one of the very first scenes that we get with Ganny is very specifically the lunch that he is having with Penny and Calendula, meaning that I was very much intrigued to hear how that interaction would be played out. But it also means that it's this conversation which involves some rather frank and uncomfortable dialogue between Calendula and Ganymede. And I'm curious now if that means that Alex pulled Sharon in to have the person you were playing off of during that acting sequence. No, no, he did not. Okay. <laughs> Although I, I feel like um, I feel like he did a pretty good job as Calendula. <laughs> in his, <laughs> in his, oh my uh, god! I've never reading. I've never actually thought about uh, that at one point or another. Alex is probably voiced every character in New Century, and now I'm just picturing him as Calendula. Fabulous. Alex provided content for a potential blooper reel, as he often does with Behind the White Scarves, and I was going to splice together some of these things to go with the interviews. I'd just be very curious if there is anywhere in there an actual recording of Alex pretending to be one of the other characters, particularly Calendula, uh, mixed <laughs> in with that. So, <laughs> Yeah, I want to hear Alex's impression of Sharon. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not only did I get uh, impressions here and there, I mean, they might have been the entire dialogue piece, but little things here and there to, to maybe kind of invoke a feeling. But yeah, I also got backstory between him and his wife i'm like oh oh well this makes a lot of sense ooh, ooh. <laughs> that's where this comes from there's a lot of uh, yeah when you get little details like that yeah <laughs> all of you listeners will have heard some of those outtakes by now but since none of them included parts of felix's performance that means if such a performance by alex exists on tape i haven't found it yet but I promise to look for it.
So, Maya, I ask a modified version of the original question asked a billion years ago now. It does feel like a billion years ago. It really does. Like, <laughs> I, I, I legit was thinking, I, I don't even remember when I recorded most of this stuff for Stone Spring. Like, like I have no concept of time anymore. I have no idea. <laughs> You're not the only one. I'm just going to toss that out there. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I understand, but it's just uh, this is the weird times we live in. Anyway, continue. Nah, yeah, 2020 has a long tail, unfortunately. <laughs> it's encompassed most of 2021, it feels like. Yeah. I also know that you in particular mentioned about how busy you had been with your day job uh, and that you're doing long hours <laughs> as people in Hollywood often do. It's so weird to refer to it as my day job, but what? <laughs> <laughs> and yet. I mean, it's the thing that you do more than anything else. We love having you here on School of Movies and in the New Century, but I know that in the meantime, you're like, you know, doing jump kicks and oh, water boy. work and whatever That's... else it is that you do. We can have a whole separate discussion about how the entirety of my life last month was just spent in a tank of water. <laughs> like <laughs> That was pretty much my whole life, five days a week, which was funny because I was like, you know, thinking about your, you know, like, oh, how does this work with your schedule and everything? I was like, well, typically... If, no matter what's going on, we'll usually have weekends off. For that job, that was not the case. Our schedule mm. was Wednesday through Sunday. So even, right. you know, with the assumption that, oh, yeah, I'll have Saturdays and Sundays off, this most recent big job that I just got off of, that was not the case at all. But we still found times to, like, you know, oh, geez, sorry, my dogs are going nuts right now. <laughs> Come on, no, no, no. <laughs> sorry about that. Yes, the cameo. We would still find times to to record and and to jump on the Skype and like there were times where I just was like I'm going to have to record my stuff and send it off to you and there were some pretty key moments like I think the entire scene with just Catherine and White I'm mm. pretty sure we we did that scene as if we were just doing it obviously because Alex voices White he performs him so that was a pretty easy way to just Alex is going to do his lines, I'm going to do mine, and we're going to carry on as if it's just a dialogue between the two characters. So in those cases, obviously, it was very helpful to have him there because he's that character, so it made sense. But there were times where I, I did just have to do a session with myself. I would send it off to Alex. If he had any feedback, he'd send it, and then I would do retakes as I needed to. That was a very intense scene. How did it feel? to inhabit Catherine facing down what is essentially a, a deadlier version of Batman. <laughs> I would say it, it, it felt intense. And, you know, Alex, of course, did a, a great job of describing what exactly was going on. And I thought it was a, kind of a cool way to, like, introduce a different, almost like a different side to both of them, because mm. Catherine is really trying to hide the fact that she is scared out of her mind and she's trying to hide it so mm. much i don't know like we kind of found this little cadence where it's like well i'm not i'm not actually trying to to get rid of you i'm not trying to make you as a problem in my life go away i'm really like i'm concerned for you i'm really mm -hmm. worried about you as a person like that's kind of 
how it, it ended up feeling to me listening back on it. No, 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 no. I'm really just worried about you, Mr. White. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm. So, I have concerns. <laughs> like, Furiously like, mashing panic button. Oh, like. Yeah, internally she's like, "Holy crap! I'm, I'm like, I'm sweating," you know. And so it, it felt intense, you know, going into it as well and and doing the reading with him. Back when Toby and I first did a discussion of Stone Spring Maidens, and this is when the book was released, as opposed because obviously the audio drama has only been taking place over the last couple of months. We were having a discussion about whether or not we thought that Catherine was fully aware of who Mr. White was. And obviously that comment that she makes at the end about... Mm -hmm. uh, the problems of Green Hollow kind of made that clear. But I also wondered to myself about the whole experience of Catherine knows the reputation of Thomas Arlington, but it doesn't seem like the two of them ever actually met. She may have had conversations with Sarah, which is what was implied during pieces of Arlington and Steamheart. But this is, in a way, the first experience that she's had with someone that she's heard about, and yet it is a more terrifying version of this person. She doesn't mm. have previous experience to draw upon. Mm. So right. She doesn't have the security of... Like, she clearly has her own suspicions of who White really mm -hmm. is, but yeah. that's not necessarily a comfort to her because she didn't know the guy i would imagine her having a lot of respect for him but almost seeing it in a way of if you were talking to arlington it would be like talking to harvey dent mm. now she's talking to two-face mm. almost like I... it's just a completely different person now mm -hmm. wow we we've talked so much about arlington turning into like deadly morally gray batman as if Batman isn't morally gray at times, <laughs> but like we often miss the obvious comparison, which is <laughs> like Harvey Dent and Two Face. That's actually a really, it's as if Harvey Dent still was Two Face, but he actually became Batman instead. But see, here's the thing that's a natural progression because it is part of the stuff that we discussed before about all of Batman's rogues gallery being a reflection of right. Batman slash Bruce Wayne. Mm. So Two-Face is a representation of the duality of yes. the Bruce Wayne face and the Batman Yeah, face. and that duality mm. gone wrong, specifically. Mm. Alfred, when I look at Calendar Man, it's like I'm looking into my own soul. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Calendar Man, maybe not. Uh, Condiment King, maybe not, but, you know, still. <laughs> When's our gritty reimagining of Condiment King coming out? I can't wait. <laughs> also, just a commentary aside from that, you say that you're doing a whole lot of water work from uh, Wednesday mm. to Sunday. I remember when you told everybody on the Discord that you got certified in that. So apparently the reward for work well done is more work in that particular case. <laughs> yes. I mean, I was I was brought on specifically because... They had some younger actors in the water that were there to do some like, you know, they were like specialty actors that were strong swimmers and everything else. And I guess the rule was you had to be 
basically instructor level in order to mm -hmm. safety children under the age of 18. And I happened to be one. So that was exactly why I was brought on. <laughs> and it turned into like four weeks of work, which, you know, some, some days were easier than others. Some days were more fun than others. But it has certainly, uh, certainly has paid off in a number of ways. It's paid off for you in terms of work, maybe not so much in terms of weird long hours, but yeah. Man, <laughs> that's a whole separate discussion that I don't want to get into. <laughs> no, that's perfectly okay. So let's get back to our question list. Felix, Orion, I'd just like you to talk a little bit for a moment about what it was like to try and find the voices of Ganymede and Atar. What did you draw on from personal experience? or alternately from media of personal significance, or perhaps uh, due to Alex's direction? Let's start with Felix. Sure, sure. And that's perfect before I goldfish this. I would honestly say that a lot of finding the voice for Ganymede was not too hard. My, my actual introduction to him was the scene where he is helping the uh, the boy adjust and attune to the the arm that he or is it the hand arm? It, it's Sections a hand. Cut on. It's, it's a hand. A, yeah, the yeah. hand. It's the hand. Yeah, because he makes it do the trick. The hand that he has been given as a replacement that his his parents had worked so hard, but he, they had gotten you know assistance for, and and having him freak out over the fact that he thinks that he has now broken this device, and and my kind of tryout for that particular voice was this scene and trying to come to that 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 understanding that emotional level where you're trying to connect with a child that is very hurt vulnerable scared and attempting to not only alleviate the fear but to help regain control and to help that child move forward not only showing that you too share this particular uh I'm going to say disability because that's mm -hmm. really what it comes down to, but that you have learned how to master it and that he too can be like you. Mm. So I'm, as I think an individual, not too far off from Ganymede. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what, this is, this is not something I, I have to dig too deep on. And while I like to do silly voices and stuff, I don't think that I, I have to uh, change that up all that much just to be him. So a lot of that, I think, comes from my own personal experiences and me as a core individual rather than mm -hmm. something that is fantastical. You're not sort of caricaturing at a sort of like a character who is quite a few degrees off. You're trying to inhabit them, trying to fit that space really well from who you are. Exactly. Exactly. I don't. I don't have to posture myself into a mad scientist and be like, <laughs> "Well, really, we actually might have that experiment ready." You know, stuff. I don't. I don't have. I feel to, like we just got a preview of an upcoming character. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Felix has said uh, that's an interesting uh, point of connection between Felix and Orion. Appears to be this um, love of RPGs, and so therefore the. Uh, voicing different characters sometimes for that perspective so uh, yes well done there absolutely that was a great uh mad scientist voice 
I am curious, uh, Felix, uh, you say that you will uh, twitch doing uh, RPGs. Do you find yourself in certain games where the dialogue isn't voiced, sort of filling in that voice yourself and like experimenting with different uh, voices or anything like that? Sometimes to my own great entertainment, sometimes to my own detriment, others to uh, <laughs> to to some sort of clip and highlight reel where, where people are just like, I can't believe you just did that. So um, <laughs> I'm going to take this for my own posterity stake. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> Amazing. So you're inhabiting Gany with mostly yourself, but you're also a character in a world that is similar to our mm -hmm. own, but has all of these different social norms and everything like that. Was there anything in how you were trying to portray Ganymede that was trying to reflect any of this different world and society or did not factor into your, uh, your acting? That is a very, very hard question to kind of answer. I don't think that it really reflects so much in in things that I was trying to portray because the notion of living something or someone and their experiences tend to show through without having to kind of force a point, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. The experiences of being where Gany is a, a black man in a society that skin color doesn't matter, but... Mm -hmm the sexual differences between man and woman because matriarchal society makes all the difference, but still having that section where you have a subset of humanity that is essentially enslaved is still the same thing. So mm. it's not far off. You don't have to go at the extra mile to make a point because you can feel that that particular difference or that that similarity to the world that we live in by the dialogue between those characters that exist through a very natural conversation that would happen and is an everyday thing between couples that are trying to make a family i just there is a fun story between that <laughs> the whole dinner where you have calendula and penny sitting at the table with ganny and calendula making her her play to try to get Penny to budge from a position that she has found herself in because she doesn't like men. So she mm. tries to come to a compromise. While Cal wants this one thing, she's not really looking at Ganny as anything other than a piece of meat mm. that can provide something that she's looking for to hopefully get the thing that she wants to have at the end of the day. It's kind of a lot of the things that, that, that mirror our society as it is, where as a, a black man living in America, it's like, okay, well, to some sections of society, I'm okay. You can hang out with your friends. You're good to go. You get into the people who, who look at you and it's like, well, I don't really like you. And then there's some who just, for some reason, have a abhorrent hatred to you. But the moment that you have something that they want because maybe you're taboo or maybe you are useful to them, suddenly it's it's not a detriment to have this color skin, but it is a boon because, oh, ooh, I, I like that because it is different. Well, different, different sounds so bad. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was one of the most difficult aspects of not only reading that particular conversation, but then seeing you and Sharon acted out was just like, I'd already been familiar with the concept of, to this day, the problematic white people fetishing black bodies and the connotation that was present in the conversation, not because it was necessarily something that was in Calendula's mind, although considering her narcissism and other issues, you know, again, as you say, differences could still matter there. But the point is, is that it was showing off a facet of our world without necessarily being a facet of their world. And I was just like, oh, oh, God, this is way uncomfortable here. Oh, yes. I, I immediately draw back pains to to moments that I've had multiple times over the past where that has been a thing. My most memorable one being walking home from one of the first jobs that I had had and when I had left home, I did not have a car, so I had to to hoof it from point A to point B. And uh, on my way home one day, a, a couple decided that they were going to catcall me as I was walking alongside the road. This couple kind of slowed down, catcalled. I'm like, I don't understand what's going on because I, I live in a bubble and I don't quite understand things till I understand things and went along. They end up at the same gas station that I later decided to stop in to pick up a bottle of water. And this couple then approach me as I'm at the gas station trying to get my drink. And the man then asked me, would you like to sleep with my wife? I'll even pay you. (laughs) And I'm like, I have no idea where you got the idea that I would be a here for that. B, how is this okay? C, isn't this illegal? (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like the setup to a horror film. Right? Oh my god. And this this is this is one of many stories. uncomfortable uh i'm so sorry that i'm sorry yeah (laughs) oh man i mean obviously i i would absolutely presume that um alex would want to make a safe space for you but did that make interacting with that moment difficult then oh no um it brought back memories i'm like oh i know exactly how i feel right now Mm -hmm. you know that's that's Mm -hmm. very easy (laughs) But, um, I mean, displaying something as as a piece of um, literature or a a work is different from something that is actually occurring, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like this this was not made because, oh, this is okay. No, this was made to illustrate the point that this is very uncomfortable and that you shouldn't be asking someone to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but also, just from the perspective of watching, Ganymede tried to navigate the social niceties of the situation, be like, okay, I need to say no to this, or I need to be very careful about how I respond to this, because I don't want to cause further social turmoil. You know, that's very apparent in his response. Especially because this is his best friend's wife. Like, he can't just sort of hear this and say, fuck off, like... (laughs) I mean, I, the other the other half of that is that the response is very much. I don't I don't think that people quite 
quite know until you know that mm, I want to say black society as a whole, there's there's two sides of it. The kind that uh, kind of interactions where you are angry, you are vocal and you don't care about the repercussions, you are going to speak your mind. And then there is the I am going to survive. I don't want to make waves and I want to protect those that are dear to me. The latter is what what Ganny I, I feel like chooses in that particular situation because you you get a response that is not clearly standing up for yourself, but it is the most diplomatic road without giving a harsh definitive mm. and trying to placate the other person on the other side without mm. escalating the situation. There's a lot of that, a lot of that every day that you will see. And if you go back and maybe look at documentaries, old shows, you can see how it is kind of conveyed as a thing that has been part of American culture. And it still happens to, to lots of people every day. Yeah. So, Toby, since we're continuing to be in this moment asking questions about Ganymede, would you mm. move on to your next question? So... Ganny is one of the most supportive characters I can think of in New Century, from him voluntarily pointing out his own shortcomings to Lamia when she uses his report card against Penny when they're kids, to his conversations with Attar and his assistance with Penny when she's sorting through her emotions throughout the romantic plot of the book. Now, kindness is never has to have any other motivation than just simply being kind, but I was nevertheless curious to hear your perspective on what fundamentally drives Ganymede and what leads him to possessing the patience, understanding and emotional intelligence that he exhibits in all these numerous circumstances. I'm going to, to speak to that with a particular aptitude, because when it comes to the motivations on that, there is a certain level that you you gain from uh i'm gonna say trauma responses mm. and and one thing that is very ongoing is uh emotional intelligence for me especially looking at it feeling in that particular moment when you are in a society where a, a person who is higher up in the hierarchy than you can instantaneously make your life a living hell you learn very well, very quickly, how to read and feel emotions, how to mm. make sure that the things that are happening around you are favorable rather than uncontrollable. It becomes and essential for survival. Correct. Survival mm. instinct to be able to quickly read on whether or not this person's a threat, whether or not they are going to be able to be placated and whether or not you have to do something to better that particular mood because much like myself you can you can feel where that is going like if i am standing next to a person i can generally feel emotions now that's a from high to low level when it comes to body language whether it comes to kind of like an aura that they're putting off whether it comes down to what their eyes and their hands are doing it is a consistent level thing that is just there. When you are looking at somebody that has been in Ganny's life from such an early age, it's really simple to just look at it like I would look at my sister and somebody else that, that has been with me since childhood. 
to be like, this is somebody that I very much care about. This is someone that I, I want to protect. And this is part of my, my circle and I'll do whatever it takes to be there. And that patience where, where you might see on the outside is something that, that is remarkable to him. It's something that you have just cultivated because you can't afford to be anything but. Mm. That's a very frank and disturbing answer in spite of it being genuine. Uh, yeah. When you mention about those in the circle, it does make me appreciate even more how Gani is receptive to Harry when she essentially enters into this circle as Penny starts to warm to her immediately. And Harry is the impetus that facilitates Penny approaching Ganymede again. And the dynamic between the four of them, what I call the crystal gems of New Century, <laughs> uh, has been it, it, one of my favourite things about Stone Spring Maidens, both when I was reading it as a book and especially now that I get to hear each of them voiced and come to life. I don't yet know what's in store for Ganymede as far as uh, where he is going to re-enter, at least hearing his voice as a part of New Century. But I do find myself wondering uh, if at a certain point he is going to have to learn to deal with the unexpected racism of Centrum, of the uh, alternate Earth, as opposed to the stuff that he deals with as part of Autumn. Uh, but I suspect that you will have no issues then <laughs> with acting out whatever his response is in that regard. I'm actually looking forward to to hearing what Penny's response more than anything would be to that. Mm -hmm. Because mm. while Ganny is, is used to it in one way or another, Penny is not used to it for the reasons that he would be seeing, uh, that she would be seeing there. Like it is a completely unknown type of uh, discrimination to her and would probably make even less sense than what she is mm. used to seeing in her society. So mm. having found her courage in the little girl that she used to be, will she then speak up in the face of that? Never mind. But like, yes, she could absolutely have to deal with it in regards to responding to hatred coming Ganymede's way. But just think about it for a second in terms of, like, she's going around with Harry and they're a couple. That's yes. going to set off all kinds of people <laughs> yes. at that time. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. I don't have any uh, place to go after that. So let's tailor back around to Orion and uh, re-ask the question that I asked once more a billion years ago. <laughs> Um, <laughs> just uh, time is warped and bendable it's fine yeah, exactly <laughs> orion what did you draw upon from personal experience or potentially from characters in media to flesh out atar sure all right i'll try to be as focused as possible but my brain goes ping zoom all over the place uh <laughs> when trying to <laughs> you... be eloquent you let your brain go as ping zoom as many times as you need to. <laughs> trust me, I do it on a weekly basis here. 
<laughs> so when I auditioned initially for the role, Alex basically gave me like Columbus's opening monologue from Zombieland and was like, all right, this is kind of a bit of the feel that I want this character to have. They're a nerd. They're guarded. They're kind of brittle. And Atar changed quite a bit mm. uh, from that starting point. Like we talked quite a lot and I, I don't know like how much my input on the character really had but mostly i felt like alex would just tell me things about that's hard i'd maybe say like one or two things like in you know in response or that oh yeah i can work with this uh so that was kind of the starting point and then from there we move into i guess what you you end up seeing in stone spring which is this mm -hmm. much more he has a very spiky personality mm -hmm. right um and, and we love it we love yes. it <laughs> so much. He's a, he's a bit more um, self-assured, definitely, than when I was recording like the you know my tryout. Essentially, you know, I was a bit more open. Whereas, you know, recording for Stone Spring, Atar is a very guarded person, and he kind of has a lot of modes. He, I feel like, interacting with different people, like almost every character, I felt like I brought out a little bit of a different bit of his personality mm -hmm. like you know doing his work you know when he's in the workshop at the beginning and penny shows up and he has this pretty antagonistic relationship towards penny mm -hmm. he's like out the gate he makes a really gross joke and he's also being a little bit of a showman i you know kind of like trying to show off there is a teeny bit of like a tony stark in mm. atar he's not like a womanizer or anything like that no. but there is like that kind of like you know tech brain everything going boom bang you know uh but i didn't want to do an impersonation but there's just a little bit of that he is uh i let's say more than a little bit because now that you <laughs> suddenly mentioned tony stark i was like i'm thinking about some of the ways that he interacts with other people particularly in avengers and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that that was a touchstone like i didn't want to be like oh this is my take on robert downey jr or anything <laughs> like that but i'm like okay that's kind of like if i'm not sure where i'm going with the character i can kind of pull back to this performance and just think about how that can kind of inspire me i suppose you know he's this hyper-focused inventor he is a very self-assured person he interacts with different people and in, in slightly different ways obviously with Ganny, he allows himself to become more open and vulnerable as the story goes along. Teeny, teeny bits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little tiny bit. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that my best, uh, the, one of the lines I love the most is, remind me to be 50% less mean to you. No, make that 25%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, no, that was too generous. I can't, I can't go that far. Yeah, he um, like, you know... <laughs> I love his relationship with Harry. I think it's really interesting that he is both. He's kind of fascinated with her, uh, but also a little bit cautious. And I think in a way he kind of wants to like take her like under his wing a little bit. But I don't think he would mm. ever admit to anything like that. See, now I'm kind of curious. You bring up Tony and all of a sudden I'm picturing if that interaction might have been shaped a little bit by tech bros tony and bruce in avengers because some of that happens a little bit in terms of tony trying to encourage bruce 
when they're alone together and make him feel more comfortable. If it was, I don't think I thought about it, but honestly, like what I'm what I can remember from when we were doing recordings and what I don't remember, honestly, up mm-hmm. in the air. 2020 is uh sludge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I was just going to make a comment on what you mentioned about how Atar is kind of fascinated by Harry, but I like the idea that he will probably do his best to not necessarily let her know that he's fascinated by her. Yeah. (laughs) He's very, I think he's like very cat-like in that Mm. sort of way Mm. where it's like, you know, oh, I'm interested, but I can't let you you know that I'm too interested. Mm. Cat is the perfect animal to describe uh, Atar, honestly. And because Harry managed to actually pick up on and sort of actually ask for Atar's perspective on fashion, which is something that when that scene happens, I get the sense that it's something he's always really enjoyed. But because that's not his line of work, it's not something that he's used to people coming to him and asking questions about, which I think I really love the performance that you do there that kind of has this one moment where Atar is actually taken a little bit aback, but kind of redoubles and says, no, no, she asked me, so I'm actually going to take this chance and run with it. Yeah, definitely. That's like a huge like point of difference between me and Atar because he's very much up on social trends and looking nice and takes a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of pride in his appearance. And I am like the kind of person who like wakes up and I look like I dressed myself, like I rolled out of like the Goodwill or something. I'm just like, okay, this is comfy. Let's go. You know, shorts all year long. What do you mean? It's negative 10 degrees out. But yeah, he's, you know, very fashionable dude. So I kind of had to (laughs) work around that with doing that uh, part of his personality. But I do think it's important um, because we can get into all kinds of fun stuff about like, you know, quote unquote, performing gender and everything else and, you know, allowing himself to like things or be interested in things that are more, you know, typically associated with being, you know, feminine and whatnot. He is confident enough in his, you know, in himself that he can let himself indulge in those things. Like he doesn't feel like he has to put on this hyper-masculine front. That's a point of difference between him and Penny, who gets called up on like, why do you still dress the way you do? Why do you have the hair highlights you do? And when she's asked that, she's asked that by her mother, Lamia, and you hear what she wants to say, but she sort of gives a more timid answer, whereas Atar has no problem of saying, I know who I am, I know what I like, and this is who I am. That's him. Yeah, definitely. And he has a, a very high level of assuredness and when he doesn't he still tries to act like he does anyway (laughs) and (laughs) and that is again very much like a cat (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely what you didn't see me mess up absolutely not let me just go ahead and fix my hair real quick you know (laughs) the master of making his own fuck-ups look like it was all planned along (laughs) also i'm suddenly just picturing to myself like ever since you mentioned that metaphor for Atar, I was thinking about that extended interaction that we keep referring back to, where Harry is showing an interest in Atar, and he seems surprised, and he's like, oh, you're saying 
some really nice things about me. It's like all of a sudden I'm picturing in my mind her just sort of like carefully reaching out and, you know, stroking or, you know, scritching the ears of a cat and the cat being like, I wasn't expecting this. Okay, I will allow you to pet me. <laughs> yes, this is Cat-ta. okay for now. <laughs> oh, no, cat. <laughs> it's just answer with cat ears. Oh, no. <laughs> no one could survive. <laughs> Crap, he's even cuter. Um... <laughs> Don't be intimidated. Just imagine him with cat ears. Oh, no, he's cute. <laughs> So oh, that, that's a SpongeBob thing. Thank you. I was hoping someone would pick that up. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard not to. I grew up on mm. SpongeBob and everything Nickelodeon, so you know. <laughs> so Orion, people who are first coming into Stone Spring Maidens may not have been aware of the big plot twist that was in store for Atar, but obviously, when the call went up to cast this particular character, Alex said, hey, I'm looking for a trans man to voice them. And I obviously wanted to be careful about this. And it wasn't clear to me, Alex may have done work behind the scenes in terms of trying to get the wording to get the voice of Atar right long before you voiced him. But I was curious about how your personal experience might have shaped at least the actual performance of in particular that moment where he has to admit his past in front of a bunch of people basically in front of everybody because no one except for someone that isn't even present is aware of gender assigned at birth for him right so um this was definitely something that i talked at length about before even seeing like a single draft Mm -hmm. just talking with alex just because i really i was nervous like i'm just going to be 100 percent honest um i was nervous about this scene because you know so often the trans character is you know outed in some kind of you know twist it's the reveal Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's the they were deceiving you all along kind Mm -hmm. of reveal and i just wanted to make sure that the tone was correct because it's it's so easy just to kind of you know to misstep and you know like even you know being a trans person i feel like if i wrote something or you know produced something i might write could you know be very easily you know very insensitive to another trans person it just depends Mm. on you know your kind of level of comfort and you know past experiences and everything else so yeah i was nervous about it but um when you know i finally read it um i thought it was you know handled in a really good way i was like okay okay i think i can work with this but i know it's gonna be i know it's gonna be a little raw Mm -hmm. going in and it was because in that moment atar has to draw upon his own I guess, privileged um, upbringing and be this kind of, he's trying to be this like authoritative voice while also like revealing this like absolute, this, you know, something he does not want to reveal about himself. 
Mm-hmm. So a vulnerability. It's, yeah, it's a huge vulnerability. It's essentially both trying to show off my fancy armor of, hey, guess who I'm related to, while at the same time just opening up the chest plate and being like, okay, my heart's right here, everyone. Mm. You know, you can stab it if you want. And it's almost as if he sort of does a good enough job of just being sure enough about himself that he can actually, by leaning into it and confirming it, he is like taking that ownership and saying, yes, this happened and there is paperwork for it. Now, this is not the thing that we're clearing here. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm throwing the authority of who I'm connected to to make sure that this very urgent matter is attended to. So yeah, let's get it done, people. Exactly. He is being as uh, professional about it as possible so that the reaction of the guards and whatnot is much more of like bafflement than of, you know, shock. You Mm -hmm. know, oh my Mm. gosh, this is, you know such and such is daughter like i really wanted to avoid using that mm-hmm. um and i said as much to alex i'm just like i really like he he can't say that mm-hmm. um you know because especially at the time i've dealt with a lot of issues you know a lot of other trans people where people not being accepting or family kind of rejecting that or in, in about at the same time being like but we're so supportive of you look at all this stuff we've done for you but we're not going to call you our son. <laughs> so that was, you know, a big point. And luckily things have gotten a bit better with my family mm-hmm. a bit mm. since I recorded that. But there was a lot of kind of like raw emotion that uh, I had like direct for. And this is kind of tangenting a little bit that Atar has directed at his mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of that in that scene, but I know there's so much more explicit ones, like when he's talking to Ganny about mm. how his mother views weakness and stuff like that. Mm. How he's reconciling that she provided the means for this, but like that doesn't equate to complete sort of acceptance of this path. And it's yeah, it's was one of the parts of the book that is. I remember in the casting stage, and or at least when Alex was showing details about Atar as a character before the book had come out, and we didn't really have any context of who the character was. I remember reading that he was a trans man, and I thought, oh, that's that's cool. And then the book comes out, and I just read it, and all memory of that has completely gone. So even though I had read that when it happens, I did go. Oh yeah, I do remember that that was the case, but like <laughs> it just it does and it doesn't matter. It's this thing of it doesn't matter because Atar is Atar, but it's more that you understand what him volunteering this information means to him and that what he's doing in order to facilitate Penny getting through there and how Penny acknowledges that too. So I'm I'm thankful for the scene afterwards when after Gani and Data are away from the rest of the guards, they actually have a moment to kind of unpack what just happened. I think it was helpful for me and I hope it was helpful for you and Alex as you were putting together these scenes. Yeah, it was very important to me that the characters never expressed any kind of like betrayal 
or whatnot. It's not that they couldn't mm. ask questions mm-hmm. or be curious, mm-hmm. but Gany is just he's accepting, he's patient, you know, mm. he's you know willing to be like, you know, if you want to talk about it later, we can. Mm-hmm. But we don't, you know, we don't need to we don't need to broach this right now. We potentially don't ever have to talk about it, but I'm as <clears throat> as someone that I care about, I want you to know that I am available to externalize with should you so choose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's very very much a it's like, hey, this changes absolutely nothing. If you feel like you need to talk about it, great. You are you, and that's it. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, it doesn't change who Atar is as a person. He's lucky enough that he can kind of, um, much like myself, just kind of fly under the radar, mm-hmm. uh, as it were. Like, if I don't want to draw attention, you know, to me being a trans person, I just don't have to say anything. I can just kind of, you know, get away with it. And that's some, you know, that is privilege that Atar has as well as myself and you know it can be hard right you know especially for other people who you know people might be terrible and like you know call them out or or whatever mm-hmm. those people can die in a garbage fire <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah uh i i did also want to bring up because thinking about this i kind of like scrolled back through some of like the the conversations that i had had with alex and while he was, I think, in the process of still like either in editing or almost finished with Stone Spring, um, Elliot Page came out. Oh. And uh, that definitely helped kind of impact, I think, especially at the end where Atar kind of has this like declaration of self-love. Mm. You know, mm. I love who I am now. Like I don't I don't want to change that. I don't want to have to prove it to anyone. And that was definitely uh very impactful. You know, for me personally, and I think it impacted the the writing of the character as well. I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit teary. The uh, uh, hey. <laughs> it's okay. We get emotional sometimes on through the window. That's part of our brand. Just as I'm curious about the future of Ganymede in whatever comes next in New Century, I'm also kind of very curious. You were talking a little bit about your own experience with your family, Orion. We already know that Hera Rubinox is uh, kind of a secret baddie at this point, or she definitely has problematic stuff in store for future plot. So it seems very likely that Atar and Hera are going to come into conflict at some point. So it's going to be interesting to see how that is handled and i at least am glad that your own contention with your family is probably nowhere close to how it clearly seems there's a lot of unresolved stuff between mother and son there mm. in regards yes. to what <laughs> yeah i'm very excited for the future there i can't really I don't have a lot of details mm-hmm. and I don't really want I don't want to spoil uh, anything <laughs> that I might know, but I'm very mm-hmm. looking forward to uh, any future conversations because like when I think of, of Hera, I kind of like my, my go-to is kind of uh, Kuvira from legend of Korra meets objectivism. 
and Ooh. I'm really looking forward to <laughs> playing off of that. Uh, I'm trying to remember who that is in Korra. Bad guy of the final season, if the, is that right? The uh, or am I completely the, uh, uh, misremembering the, uh, that? The Earthbender. Hmm. She's like the, the that... general. I think I, I think I know who. Sorry, names are absolutely the the bane of my existence. To me, I remember details about a person. I remember who, what, whens, and wheres. We give me a name, and it's like, uh, wait, you, <laughs> you are in good company. We are a podcast that focuses exclusively on New Century. We spend weeks and weeks and months and months going over books and what will happen is i'll have just my brains goes blank and you will have noticed multiple times in this very recording session where i am going like oh shit what is harry's name what is harry's name <laughs> yep, yep. i i lose the thread all the time uh <laughs> when i'm talking so no worries mm -hmm. and that's a perfect place to end on for this week next week we start back in with maya which I find deliciously synchronous, since at time of recording, we did not yet know that Maya was voicing High Admiral Hera Rubinox, since the last episode of Stone Spring Maidens had not yet come out. This means that technically, Orion was talking about all this stuff regarding Attar and his mother, with his mother present. I wanted to provide some proper context for some of the stuff discussed during Adhar's bit, but unfortunately, YouTube failed me trying to find a clean copy of the Avengers scene where Tony and Bruce share their experiences in private. And for some of the stuff regarding Adhar's experience with his mother, the media reference that I had in mind is visual, so I couldn't just splice that in like a sound clip, which is fine because an interview should be focused on its subjects. But for those that aren't familiar, there is a mother-daughter relationship in the virtual pages of the webcomic Questionable Content regarding a high-powered CEO mother and her neurodivergent daughter who chooses to work in a coffee shop. It's definitely not the same as dealing with the trans experience, something the comic also addresses in far gentler fashion, but Orion's discussion of using the privilege available to him as Atar, as well as his mother's opinions on weakness, makes me think about their evolving relationship, and how it came to an explosive climax in Strip 3638. If you're not familiar with the strip, there is a lot of it to get through, some of it better than others, but there is a particularly powerful story arc regarding Hanalore and her mother, starting with Strip 3606 and culminating in Strip 3649. That's a more easily digestible chunk, and I highly recommend it, as it's also the first introduction of an NB character to questionable content. For now, let's end with some glorious Stonespring outtakes. Should I get it dyed in a specific color? Fuck. This is why, even when riding on an airship, you put your phone on silent. Keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times. So, yeah. No, oh, that's way worse. If we lived together, the mattress would never get dry. Everybody peace. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
so yeah. There's a great deal of gravity behind this delicate situation, so I shall be precise. I shall do that line again. So I shall be surprised. <laughs> so I shall be surprised. So yeah. Okay, hear me out on this. Like you said, we were just about to get married. I was incredibly scared and tense, and it was an enormous commitment I was about to make, and there was a car going by outside. So, yeah. I received a visit from an untrusted double agent. You must let me through to potentially sabotage a nation. And my dog coming through the dog door has sabotaged this recording. So, try again. So, yeah. A metasexual, degenerate, defective human. Okay, so those three words, got it. A metafection. <laughs> metafectual. <laughs> Meta metafectual, no. So, yeah. Can I take it all again? I wanna. I wanna all right. <laughs> it's like, I want to be the first in history to put it all together. So, yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. As someone who's been yeeted across the room, I'm pretty sure that's the sound they make. Well, it was across the swimming pool. And to be fair, to be fair, I got the most air that night. It was fantastic. I won free movie tickets and a box of Pocky. So, yeah. But if we all go in, they'll chase us through. And those crystal knights will break down the walls to get at us if they have to. Get, get him, get him. <laughs> so yeah. All right, this is my first time ever trying to kind of do a scream take. So um, I hope these are okay. Oh shit! 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 Oh shit!